Casey. I'm blessed to be an elder here, and um, I get the opportunity to preach today, and I love this opportunity. Um, it's 940. I'm going to try to get you guys out of here on time. I know Aaron says that, but really, and like, you know, I'm going through this. I, had th- I have three verses today, and I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this in 45 minutes? And then I'm like, I start getting into it. I'm like, how am I going to do this in two hours? So I'm going to try to get out of here on time. I don't want people falling out of the windows like, you know, when Paul talked long, but, you know, you're just going to sprain your ankle or something here if you fall out. You're not going to die like that kid did. So uh, we're, in, uh, we're in this thing, uh, in this message called You Shall Love, and it's what Jesus says about love. And today we're going to get into John 15, 9 through 11, and I've called this um, Abiding in Christ's Love because we're going to see that here. And what's funny as I just grabbed Paul on his way out, and I was like, did you know what I was preaching about today? And he was like, no, I have no idea. And I'm like, oh, well, great. So you did a great opener for me, because we're talking about the three verses just before this. So we're going to be in John 15, 9 through 11. And before we get into that, I want to open the, the scene and, and just kind of get into like where they were at in this part of the message. So in John 13 through 17, those, those uh, four chapters basically... Jesus is giving his last kind of commands to his disciples before he went to the cross. And it started out this week, which would be Thursday, a couple thousand years ago. Uh, This is the week that we celebrate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And on this day today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that he rode into Jerusalem. And on Thursday, he's in this upper room with his disciples, and he has the Last Supper with them. He then finishes the supper, and he says, all things have been completed. You know, I've been glorified. I'm going to my Father. He then takes off his uh, outer garments, and he gets down, and he washes his disciples' feet. And he, he does it to say, he shows them, like, this is an example of what I want you to do for each other and for others and to love, right? So that's the scene. Right after he gets out of that, he starts talking about how the Holy Spirit's going to come. and He's going to be your paraclete, which is what Aaron talked about last week, you know, our helper. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to do these things, to do this love. And then he finishes that talk about with them. And he says, let us rise from here. And they go out, but he continues this message that he's given to them as they're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And so um, he gets into this John 15 at the beginning of this. Before he starts talking about the passage over here, he says that, you know, I am my father's the vine dresser. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you're going to abide in me to bear fruit, you can only do it through me, right? So we're going to get into this abiding thing and what that looks like. And uh, some theologians think that why he started talking about that is that they were walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they would do that, he either came across a big cluster of vines and grapes. And so they would have had this illustration. Or another idea is that as he was walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, they went through the temple and that the temple was open. But above the temple, on Herod's temple, there was actually a vine with a big, huge grape cluster. So he could have been pointing at that and saying, like, I'm the true vine. You're the branches. You're going to bear fruit. Because to them, when they saw that, Israel was supposed to be the fruit of God, and God was the vine. And their leaders had been leading them astray at that time, and they weren't being fruitful. So Jesus is saying, like, no, I'm the true vine, and this is the only way that you're going to bear fruit. So that kind of sets the stage for where we're at today. So... Let's get into John 15, 9 through 11, and it'll be up on the screen, and you can read along if you have your Bibles. And this is what God's Word says. 
As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So we're going to break these three verses down one by one. And the first verse, again, is verse 9. It says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So I like getting into the sentence. Aaron talked about how he was geeking out last week with the Greek. And um, I like getting into that. I like getting into the words because words are important. Jesus like argued the Bible down to present tenses when he was, um, was talking about that. So let's get there. The first word is as. So as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. So this word as means to the extent or the degree of something, right? So as God loved Jesus, Jesus loved us. He set that as an example. The love that uh, Paul talked about, he said there's like 20 different words for love. Aaron's talked about this. There's four in the Greek, right? There's uh, phileo, which is brotherly. There's this word agape, which is the God type of love, unconditional love. There's storge, which is familial love, and eros, which is erotic love. So it's these four different words for love. But in this passage, John is using the word agapeo, which is the uh, verbal form of it, and he uses agape, which is the noun, right? So we get into here. So as, in the same degree of the extent that the Father has loved agapeo me, I have agapeoed you. And he tells him to abide in his love, all right? So that abide word and agape, uh, agape love is, it's a godlike love, right? It's a love that only can be used by someone who's regenerate. When in the Bible, every time agape is used for the unregenerate or sinners, it's love for the world and love for sin, right? The only time it's used for believers is to how we're supposed to love people like God. And it's that to take pleasure in something. Um, again, it's also to long for, it's, it's, it's more than just like our word love for pizza, right? It's really, it's this true Love. Abide in the Greek is called meno, meno, okay? And it means to tarry, to uh, reside in, to continue in, to remain, to spend a long period of time in something. Uh, it's ultimately dwell. You dwell in something. Think of like a house. You dwell in it, okay? So just as that, we get into this. The first point I want to make here, point number one, is that we abide in Christ's love by following his example, Okay, so have you ever wanted to be like somebody? Have you ever like wanted to emulate somebody? Paul said this to uh, to the people in Corinth: the "By or imitate me as I imitate Christ." Right. So we like to follow examples. We like to be like people. When I was a kid, um, I'm gonna embarrass myself here, but I really loved Rambo and Rocky, and I almost wore a Rocky shirt under this. And I was gonna show you that I got it from Philadelphia when I was at the Rocky statue, and at the age of 43, I ran up the Rocky steps with my son, and I jumped up and held my hands up, right? What you don't know is that when I was about seven or eight years old for my birthday, I had a Rocky birthday, and so we made a movie, and I, we made a belt out of a piece of wood for the heavyweight belt, and we did a workout thing, and then we boxed. On my birthday, I made my friend cry because I hit him in the face, right? So, so that's a bad version of imitating, but we like to imitate people, right? We like to be just like people. And so Jesus is saying, just like the Father has loved me, I have loved you to that same example, right? So we're motivated by this. So this guy named Edwin Bloom in the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, A believer is motivated by the wonder of Jesus' love 
which is patterned after the Father's love in quality and its extent, right? So we're motivated by the love that Jesus has for us. So the first question here is we're going to break this down is how has God loved Jesus, right? If we're to love, if we're to abide in his love and we're seeing this example of how God loved Jesus and Jesus loved us, how did God love the Father? Or how did the Father love Jesus? And so it says this in John 17, 22 to 26. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that may, they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I'm going to come back to that verse. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So a lot of stuff there, right? And so what the main point here is that Jesus is saying that he wants them to see the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And like, what does that mean, right? So the, the love that God had for Jesus is an eternal love, right? So in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, before the, before the world began, God was in perfect unity with Father, Son, and Spirit. Before he created us, before sin entered, entered the world, and he had to have, make this plan to come get us, he knew what was going to happen. He'd already ordained the, the plan, but they had this perfect unity in love, and God loved the, God loved the Son just like that. So, question, who's had the longest marriage in here? Anybody married 10 years? 10 years? 20 years? 30 years? 40 Anybody 40, 40? Phoenix, I don't think so yet, bro. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. So, you know, 30 years, right? That's a long time. Okay, now think of eternity where you don't even have an argument, where you are in this, this perfect harmony and you're, you're just this perfection, right? I asked my, my youth kids, uh, shout out to the ninth and 10th grade boys if they're in here. Uh, that's my group. I asked them, like, in heaven, what are you looking forward to the most? And there's, like, no drama, like, no arguments with people. No, you know, no tension, right? Just peace and harmony and no drama. And that's, you know, we, we love each other, but we love each other through our drama and, and our, our sin, right? But God, lo- the Father, loved the Son in, in perfect harmony. And, and the only time that that was fractured is that their love was still there, but that union is when Jesus came to the earth and he took sin for us. Right, so he's saying, like, as the fathers loved me, I have loved you. So, how has Jesus loved his disciples, and how has Jesus loved us? Um, he's talking to his disciples, as I have loved you. His disciples, they saw that love throughout their three years with him. He's in the boat in the storm, and it's raging, and. You know, he's calming them. He's calming them down. He's, they, he just washed their feet. They're seeing that, like, the Son of God, the King of the universe, humbled himself and washed, his, washed their feet, right? Um, he's loved them in feeding 5,000. They saw that where he's feeding people, and they were, they were, these people were tired and hungry, and they had just come off of this 
uh, long ministry thing, and he, the, the, he wanted them to rest, but then he, they run into this group of people, and he had compassion on them. He loved them, right? They're seeing all this. They're, they're seeing him pour out his life for them. So they have this, this example of how he's loved them, and he's saying, you know, you need to abide in that love. Just as I have loved the Father, the Father's loved me, and I've loved you, follow it. But how has Jesus loved us? So how does this, this statement apply to us today? So there's three points here. Sacrificially, um, Ephesians 5, 2 says this, Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So sacrificially, Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for us, that he died on the cross for us, that, um, that he gave up everything for us. He's, he calls us to do that for our wives, for our husbands, for our friends. He tells us to love our enemies. So it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that he empties of himself to give to us. He loves us caringly. Uh, John 13, this is how he talks to his disciples. I don't have the verse up there, but I will read it. This is what he says to them. And it's just basically a, a two words here. Little children. Like if... if uh, when Jesus says little children, he's talking to them just this caringly, compassionately. They're his, they're his kids, right? He loves them. It's like you love your kids or you love your nieces or nephews. Um, it's a gentle, caring, fatherly love, all right? Paul actually uses the same phrase, little children, and he says this in 1 Thessalonians. Um, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you've become very dear to us. So it's that, that caringly, he loves us like that. He loves us like his children. It's tender, right? And then the third one is unconditionally, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while, we'll, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were still, still sinners, while we were still messed up, while we had turned our backs on God. He still loved us unconditionally. Okay, so what does it mean to abide in his love then? What does abide mean? It means it means to dwell. We dwell in it. We make it our home. We rest in it. We live in it. We go into it. We don't abandon it. We don't try to do it on our own, but we, we dwell there. We make it our point to stay there. Okay, so how do we do this? How do we do it? Verse 10, says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, how many of you, when you hear the word commandment, you're like, oh gosh, I've got to do something now, right? Do you guys ever get that? you just like, commandments is like something i got to do, right? And we, and we cringe at that. So how many of you growing up had house rules? Like, your parents are like, if you want to live in my house, if you want to dwell in my house, this is what you got to do, Right? Everybody, right? You know, so some parents are more strict than others. Mine were pretty strict. I don't know if they're in here. I loved being raised the way I was, but it was strict, right? And so they had house rules. If you want to stay here, this is what you got to do. And so when we look at the, at the Bible, we're just like, man, there's a lot of commands. Like when he says, you know, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide my love. Like, is there a lot of stuff that I got to do to stay in God's love and dwell there? That's a, it's a valid question, right? You know, we talk about these house rules. I had them. I grew up in, in my parents' home, Christian home, loving home, but it was a strict home, right? And I went to college my freshman year, and I was on my own, right? Free will. You have a chance to make your own decisions. Now, 
I was a pretty disciplined kid. I was playing sports, and so I had a schedule I had to keep and whatnot. But I tasted that sweet freedom, right, of no curfew, staying out late at night, going to Taco Bell at, like, midnight for fourth meal, right? Um, you're out there just you're doing your own thing. And then after my freshman year of college, I moved back home, and I started doing my own thing again, right? Like, I've been free for 10 months, and my mom's like, you need to be home at this time. And I'm just like... I haven't had to be home at a time for the last 10 months, right? And I was like, you know, I lived at home for three more months, went back to college, and never went back. But, you know, I wasn't like like doing bad stuff, but it was just like you taste that freedom, and it's like these are the house rules, and if you want to live in the house, this is what you got to do, right? And now being a police officer for almost 19 years, she was right. Nothing good happens after dark, okay? So <laughs> there's some truth in that. All right, so there's these commandments, all right, the, the Old Testament, there's 613 laws, right? The first 10 commandments are what we know as the 10 commandments, and then there's 603 after that, right? And so that's a lot of rules, and we're like, thank God we're saved by grace. We're not under the law anymore. Do you know that there's 1,050 commandments in the New Testament that we're supposed to follow? All right, so then I'm going through, like, what are the commandments of Jesus? What does he mean here by when he says, if you obey my commands, right? So Jesus, you can break it down. I saw as many as 300, but those are like, you know, um, go do this, go get a coin out of the fish. Not so there's 300 things that Jesus commanded to do, but there's really 50 commandments that he gave us. All right, basically, if you break it down to it, and it could be, you know, love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I was going to print it out, but I didn't want to go through all 50 of them. And, you know, repent, you know, take my yoke upon you, <clears throat> uh, love your neighbor, uh, take the plank out of your own eye, don't commit adultery, don't judge. So there's like, there's like 50 commands that Jesus gave in, the, in that, and that's still tedious. So are we focusing on that? And basically, it comes down to this. And we'll use scripture to interpret scripture because that's a good hermeneutical principle, right? Is that point two, we abide in Christ's love through the Spirit and loving others. Okay? So what's his commandment then? And John, the apostle who wrote this, this gospel, also wrote 1 John, which is pretty much a commentary on John 13 through 17. So if you really want to understand this, go read 1 John and it'll open your eyes. But let's read 1 John 3, 23 through 24 and figure out what this commandment is that, that John uh, through Jesus said that we needed to obey. It says this, And this is his commandment, <clears throat> that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, it's, so we abide in Christ through the Spirit and loving others. Break it down simply as that. And that commandment that he has is to believe on Jesus Christ. And when we believe on Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in immediately and dwells in us, and then we're able to love one another, okay? If we're going to continue on to John 4, 1 John 4, after that, John uses the word love 27 times between verses 7 and 20. So love is very important, just like Paul said, right? It's a command that God gave us to love each other. So there's a story about this apostle John. He's the apostle of love. He identifies himself in the book of John as the disciple who Jesus loved. I don't think he's just saying, like, I'm better than all of you. But he recognized that Jesus actually loved him, and he, he lived in that. 
There is a legend, I would say, that comes from Jerome, uh, who's an early church father in the 300s. He wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians. And when he got to Galatians 6.10, he, he put a commentary on this, and he's talking about the apostle uh, John. And he said that there's this legend that in every week when they would get together for service, at the end of the service, his disciples would pick him up. Because this is John, right? This is the John that was loved by Jesus, that wrote the book of John, that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. He got to see heaven. He got to see the end times. They'd carry John up to the front, and they'd stand him up, and they'd want him to say something. And he would say this, little children, love one another. And that's all he would say. And then the disciples got really angry and upset, and they're like, John, can you please say something else to us? And he says this, because it's the Lord's commandment, if this only is done, it's enough. Pretty crazy, right? Like love, it's, it's that important. It's that important of a command, and that's the command that Jesus wants us to abide by. This uh, pastor, Steve Cole, says this. He, John, wants to make sure that we understand that love is not an optional virtue for the believer. So this is not an option for us. It's not just like, oh, you can love if you want to. If we're Christians, if we're believers, then we're commanded to love. It says it's to be the distinguishing mark of the church in the world. That's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. It's not an automatic, though. We don't just automatically get saved, and then all of a sudden we start loving people unconditionally. It's like we have to like live in the Spirit. We have to work with the Spirit to do through this. It's not automatic because in John uh, 13, Jesus tells the disciples, like, I'm leaving you. This new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. But before that, he said something about leaving and that just like he told the Jews, I'm going where I'm going, you can't come. And he's telling the disciples, love one another, new commandment I've given you. Like, you'd think that like, they would key in on that, that we need to pay attention Peter, the next statement he makes is, okay, Lord, where are you going? Like, we're like that, right? We're like, love, 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 love. And then it's like, yeah, but I want to know like something else, right? And so what Jesus is, Jesus answers Peter's question, but then he spends the next couple chapters explaining what this love looks like. So it's not automatic. Let's go to 1 John 4, 7 through 8. He says this, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, I watched this really good movie a few weeks ago and I've watched it a couple times. Who's seen Jesus Revolution? Anybody? I took my whole youth group to this, my guys, ninth and 10th grade boys, and I wanted to take it, them to it for really three specific purposes. There's three takeaways that I got from this movie. And honestly, like... It, it's changed my perspective of, of loving people and how to do it because I needed that example, right? I needed to see it in, in action. And it's something I've really been focusing on actually like a week before Aaron asked me to teach this message. And so it's, it's powerful, right? And there's three takeaways. And it's, it's the love that you see. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I recommend watching it. But if you have seen it, you'll remember these three things. Is uh, Greg Laurie, who's a pastor now, he was a hippie, and he was strung out on acid or LSD, whatever he was taking back then, and he was running through the rain, freaking out, tweaked out of his mind, right? And Lonnie Frisbee grabs him, sees him running through the rain, and it's pouring down rain, and he just takes a hold of him, and he sits down with him, and he's like, it's okay, it's okay, right? And he just loves him. It's like this guy who's, who's tweaked out on drugs, 
And he sits down, he brings him in, and he loves him, right? And he ends up, you know, they end up connecting after that. He just ran by the house, and they had this connection. And he just shows him this love. So in the midst of his sin and his, his wickedness and what he's doing, this guy's showing him the love of Jesus by sitting in the pouring down rain and holding him and telling him it's going to be okay, right? The second one is that they had this shag carpet in the Calvary Chapel, and they didn't want the hippies coming in barefoot and wrecking the shag carpet. And the pastor, Chuck Smith, sits at the entrance, and he washes all their feet one by one as they go. And I'm like, wow, that's powerful, right? That's amazing. It's an amazing example, just like Jesus did. And it was, you know, same dirty feet just as the disciples had. And then the third one is Chuck Smith's daughter, Jeanette. She's um, kind of not into the Christian thing, but she was going to church, and she was, just thought it was this dry thing, and, and at the end of the movie, Chuck's having this dinner. He'd been out ministering all night, and he comes in, and his daughter walks in, and they have this conversation, and she's like kind of giving him some praise, and she was like, you know, this Christian thing, I was about to give up on it because it was like, where's the love? Because um, like, aren't we supposed to love, and where, did, where is it? And um, she said, but you did something that nobody was willing to do, and you loved the hippies, right? He loved these people that were outcasts, and he made them feel like they belonged. He didn't just say willy-nilly, keep living in your sin, but he loved them with truth, right? And so you see that played out, and it was, it was very powerful, right? So God's telling us, you know, if, uh, if you keep my commandments, you're going to abide in my love, just like I kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. Okay, but is, there's this fear too, right? Like, do I have to keep myself in this love? Is, G, is God going to stop loving me? There's that, there's that fear that we ask in our head, right? Is there something that I got to do? And if I don't do this, am I gonna, is God going to stop loving me and I'm not going to abide anymore? So let's answer that question in Romans 8, 35 through 39. Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord." So if, if you're loved by God, if you have a relationship with God, if you've come to Jesus and accepted him as your Savior and Lord, he loves you. Like, he loves you unconditionally. There's nothing in the future, nothing going on, no principality outside, no created being can separate you from that love. Okay? That's a powerful statement. So then I asked, like, okay, I believe that, but what about Jude uh, 1, 20 through 21, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Okay, so if we cannot be separated from God's love, what does it mean to keep ourselves in the love of God, to abide in it, right? What does it mean to dwell in it? We can't lose love, but we can let things get between it. And this guy named William McDonald, he has this uh, commentary that he wrote called the Believer's Bible Commentary, and he says this, this means that we need to be actively involved in maintaining the relationship, okay? He makes this great illustration like the sun. You can never, if, if the sun's out and it's shining down, you're not going to get out of its presence, right? But if a cloud comes by, if you put, use an umbrella or you get into something that causes shade, you're still in the presence of the sun, it's still light out, but you're not getting the warmth of it, you're not getting 
the experience of it, right? You're not in fellowship with the Son. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. When we let sin get in the way, uh, we need to confess it and get rid of that stuff. Sin gets in the way. We're still in the presence. We're still loved by God, but it, it wrecks our fellowship with Him, and we let little things get in the way. And John makes a great comment in First uh, John one nine that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it puts us back into that feeling the the the, the effects of it, right? So his commandment is to love like he loved us. We can only do this through the Holy Spirit. This God type, this love is a God type of love. It's an agape love, and it's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit living in us. This can't be produced in our flesh. It cannot be. So when he says love one another as I have loved you, it's, it's not something that's from our power. It's God living in us and through us. So how did Jesus keep his Father's commandments? John 12, 49 through 50. For I have not spoken my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore I say, as the Father has told me. So Jesus kept this perfect. He kept his Father's commandments perfectly, right? And he abided in that, and he set himself in that, and he was obedient to that. And that's how we, we abide it in his love, as we, we firmly plant ourselves in there and we make it our purpose that every day we wake up that we're going to abide in his love just as Jesus abided in his Father's love. So let's get to this last verse here. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay? So there's a purpose to this abiding, this living and dwelling in Christ and making our home there. It's joy, right? Happiness is a feeling. We try to base our happiness so often. It's like, oh, I'm just happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. This is great, this is amazing, it's happiness. But that happiness, when the rubber hits, hits the road sometimes, it goes away, right? And it's, that it's a, because it's a feeling. It's not a constant state. This joy, uh, Jesus says, he wants it to be a constant. And this joy, this word is, is kara in the Greek, and it's very close to the word for grace, which is charis, right? So this joy is very similar to, to grace. And this joy that we, he wants us to have, realistically, only comes from grace. It's, uh, the Strong's Concordance says that it's, uh, it's a calm delight. It's this peace that we have in the midst of storms. So we have, a, we have a warped view. Man has a warped view of what real joy is or happiness is. And it's getting the most stuff that you can get apart from God, like just watch any reality TV show. Just watch any uh, celebrity's life that's not a Christian, right? It's about status, and those people are some of the most miserable people that I've ever lived. They don't have joy. Trials come, and they just suffer through them, right? Randy Alcorn says this, because sometimes I think we have a, uh, a warped view of Jesus ourselves. He says this, if we picture Jesus walking around in perpetual sadness or anger, Grumbling and looking to condemn rather than to extend grace, we're not seeing the Jesus revealed in the Bible, right? We need to we need to really live like Jesus really lived, and He wants us to have His joy. And so, what is His joy? Hebrews uh, twelve two says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him. Jesus was able to look through the cross because he knew what was on the other side of it. He suffered at that point. He took the entire sins of the world, and he actually cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? You know, my... uh, it's, uh, Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? He said that. Like, at that point, he's taking the whole sins of the world. He's actually had that, that relationship that he had with the Father is fractured at that point. The, the, the sky turned dark during that period of time when he was hanging on the cross, taking our sins, right? But he had joy because he looked through that, and he saw what's in the future. So how is our joy full? It says this, um, it happens when we live in the joy of the Lord. Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. For you shall not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in the midst of trials, in the midst of all this stuff, You know, we can have joy. Jesus says this. I don't have it up here, but it's John 16, um, 33. And this is his ending, his, uh, his comments to the disciples during this whole talk that he's having with them. He says this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So this joy isn't just joy like happy, happy, joy, joy. Everything's going to be amazing and uh, wonderful. These disciples, once Jesus uh, dies and rises again and leaves, they're going to be persecuted and they're going to be persecuted hard, right? And every single one of the apostles except for John, they died being martyred, okay? And John was even, he was even tortured and he just happened to die in old age, right? But they have this, this, this peace and this ad- an abundant joy. And, and this Bloom guy, he says this, the purpose of his teaching is to give man an abundant life, not a joyless existence, right? So we, we have this abundant life. John 10.10 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly, right? So Jesus wants us to have that full life. No matter the trials or tribulations that we go to, it's this calm delight that we know, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, and we know that beyond this world, beyond the pain and suffering here, that we have a future that's eternal. You know, this life's a vapor. There's eternity in our in our in our foresight, and it's amazing, right? And we know, and we have that calmness no matter what we go through. You know, cancer or loss of job or like my truck this week's engine blew up, okay? And I couldn't preach I, I couldn't preach a sermon without the peace that I've had this week, knowing that even though this is really terrible, that, you know, there's people that are helping me out, out there and, and, and working with me, and, you know, I have that joy. I, I didn't get let down, right? There's been other times in my life where I've gone through experiences, and I have failed miserably with my joy, and I've just gone down this tunnel and focused on myself and my own needs and wants, and not kept my eyes on Jesus, right? So I had an example. I could give you my truck one, but let me give you an example that I was working on that actually I wasn't working on. It happened to me in the midst of working on this message, and 
I hate the cold and the rain. Okay, I hate that. I don't know why I live here, but I do. All right. Like, I asked my son, I was like, what's the thing I hate the most? He's like, the rain, right? So I, I just hate it, right? And so I chose to work overtime one day. And I get up in the morning, and it's the rain that when it hits your windshield, it's like this big, right? And my job was to flag traffic that day out in the rain. For, and I looked at the forecast, and it was like 38 degrees in rain. And I'm in the middle of studying this, and I was like, all I could think of is Philippians 4 is like, you know, um, rejoice in the Lord always, you know, say rejoice, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your uh, request be made known to God. And I prayed that, and I was like, dear Jesus, please. And I, like, had this sudden memory. I was like, I have rain gear at work. Oh, this will be amazing. So I went and got this really cool rain gear that I got from the SWAT team, and it didn't match my uniform, but it, and it was brown. And I just wore it, like, you're supposed to wear blue, right? So I wore this, I wore this, this uh, rain suit, right? And it's still sideways rain. I was changing out. My truck got soaked before the engine blew up. And my truck gets soaked, right? And so I went out there and like I could be totally miserable, right? I was just standing there and I just started singing worship songs. And I sang this song for an hour and a half straight. And I was like, I, was, I had joy, right? It was joy that endures through the suffering. And yeah, it's just cold and rain, but I couldn't feel my fingers. But I had that joy, right? You have that everlasting joy, and you can take that into any circumstance you come into, whether it's pouring down rain, cancer. I know some people in here that have gone through that, and they've had joy, right? Losing a job, truck engine blowing up. My dryer element also went out the same week, and I got my taxes that I have to pay. So, like... <laughs> But I'm happy, right? I'm happy. I have the joy of the Lord, right? So I couldn't teach this message unless those four things happened to me, right? So Jesus wants us to focus on him. So there's three takeaways from this message, and I'll get you guys out of here. Number one, Jesus loves you. He does. Like, he really loves you. Do you understand that? We can't love other people, and we can't abide in his love until we get that settled, that he loves us, and we know we have a relationship with him. And he loves you like as you are. Like while we're still sinners, he died for us. You don't have to make yourself right with him. You have to come to him and he saves you and makes you right and then you live it out, okay? We can't, so often we put the cart before the horse, right? Jesus is the horse. He is the way of salvation and he loves you. Number two, Jesus commands us to believe in him and to love others. So again, he calls us to believe on him. That's his commandment. Believe on me and then love people and love them in truth. And number three, he wants you to have joy. He doesn't want us to walk around miserable and focusing on ourselves. He doesn't want us to worry about our future. It's secure in him, and that joy and that knowing of who we are in him allows us to have that joy. So, go forth in joy. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's some discussion questions up here. Um, take a photo of it. Um, I would encourage you to to ask those questions and answer them yourselves. But have a good week. This is uh, the week that Jesus did so much for us, and remember that. So thank you, guys.